Welcome to Surprise It's Not a Toaster, where healthcare digital experts Ed Bennett and I, Chris Boyer, delve into the fabric of online experiences, tackling annoyances, unveiling innovative solutions, and cutting-edge tools, and also challenge AI's limits. Hey, Ed, how are you doing today? I'm good, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm a little bit nervous, Ed, I have to say. Oh, really? Why? This is our sixth episode, and it is the Switcheroo episode. But everything's been perfect so far. <laughs> well, I know because you're always prepared. So as uh, people listening in, they may know by this time, they know that we have three segments of the show. Ed, you first talk about some of the things that annoy you, and then you share like a tip and a technology. And then the third segment is where I do the stump chat GPT section. We're switching it around today. You you're it. putting me in charge of the first two parts. Hey, go for it, man. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to try... I'm not sure I can live up to how you do it, but I'm going to try my best because there are things that annoy me about the modern digital world today. I know you don't spend a lot of time on social media anymore, and I understand that completely. I do still, and I've noticed that there are a lot of people out there that just annoy me a lot. And so today I'm going to talk about two in particular that I think are, are very much related. I'm going to talk first about influencers. I'm really kind of irked by people that are influencers in the social space. Now, I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. And I, and I would say people that call themselves influencers are well, the that's worst. that's true. The people that actually come out and... I'm an influencer. Right? Or a nano-influencer or a micro-influencer. I've heard all of these terms. Right. People are prevalent on social media today. I get the concept and I get the appeal around uh, influencers and being influencers And in fact, I actually was recently reading about a study that was done. They asked Gen Z people what they felt was like their most desirable job to have. And would you believe it that the majority of Gen Zers and even millennials indicate that they want to be influencers? Oh, wow. 57% of Gen Z respondents said they want to become an influencer if given a chance. Now, if you ask me, you know, did you want to be in it? Do you want to be an influencer? Sure, I would be. But 57% of people, as opposed to 41% of all U.S. adults, and 30% of those 57% of people said they'd even pay for the opportunity to be an influencer. Isn't that the opposite of what it's all about? Well, that's the thing, right? First of all, when you think about what an influencer is, it's someone that gets sponsored products. Right. They talk about the products in a very holistic sort of way, as if they're a consumer of the product. Sure enough, they usually get like whatever it is, if it's alcohol, if it's food, if it's an avocado bed or whatever, you know, that's out there. They say, oh, yeah, I, I use this product all the time and it's really great. And they're trying to create authentic content. But they have to indicate at the bottom that they're being sponsored right. by these companies. This is considered now the most popular dream job among U.S. and U.K. tweens. Well, wow. feeling very, very old right now. I know. And don't get me wrong. There's millions of dollars in influencing. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot you could do. And, and, you know, a lot of people call it a real nice side hustle because they get free stuff, products, food, trips, event access, restaurants. You know, there's a lot of people I know that, that follow restaurants, et cetera. But man, they are out there on these social channels 
And it just drives me crazy to see how they actively promote themselves using these products. It's just obscene sometimes to see how they bend over backwards to show the value of something. I saw one influencer that was promoting a product that's for babies. Now, I get these because the social media oh, algorithms you just, are You now. just had a baby, right? Yeah, yeah. So we get a lot of these, these things in our social media feeds. But they're bending over backwards to say, this particular high chair is so much far superior than this other high chair. And one of the things that they, they were saying is, well, this high chair is really great because as the child gets older, the chair can grow with the child. And here I am thinking that, what four-year-old, what eight-year-old is going to want to sit in a repurposed high chair? Is this really a thing? And they even show their preteens sitting pre-teens. on these on these like high chair-like things that kind of grow a little bit, right? Oh, you know, gosh. so they're like eight or nine. I'm like, this is not a real thing. Right. How could people do this? It's just this whole persona around trying to promote in a very positive sense something that they're getting sponsored to promote. What happened in the good old days of you're a, a race car driver and you have all the decals yeah, on your put shirts? Yeah, decals or, on, right. Right? I mean, you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to say, like, the yeah. STP oil I got is my so decal. Great. I'm good. Yeah, I got my decal. I make it, right? I got yeah. it. Or you have the little thing sponsored by whatever at the bottom. Right. But why do they have to bend over backwards to show and highlight the fact that there are avid users of this product when they probably would use another product if it was a better contract. It's very frustrating. I watch a lot of YouTube videos. In fact, I even paid for a YouTube premium account Mm. so that I could watch YouTube without having to deal with, with advertising. And a lot of the videos I watch are like home improvement and woodworking I really enjoy watching other people do very difficult projects, right? I can just sit there <laughs> and watch them. Yeah, that's how that's how you make a, a cabinet of drawers, you know? That's very cool. And he's got, you know, $50,000 worth of equipment and he's and, and and more importantly 20 years of experience to know mm-hmm. what to do with the equipment. It's fun. It's enjoyable. And every once in a while they'll they'll say, "Hey, I've got this cool new gadget." And then they bend over backwards to explain, "I have not been paid for this." They don't even know I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. I just found this gadget. I think it's really cool. And I want to tell you about it. I find that really sad because here's somebody I've been following. I'm enjoying their videos. I have trust in them that they're legit. They know what they're doing. Obviously, I'm watching what they build and it's really cool. But then they feel that they have to explain. Nobody's paid me to tell you about this new cool thing. I just really like it. And by the way, I'm not getting paid for anything. Mm-hmm. That I say on this podcast, right, right, cool. <laughs> right. I welcome yeah. any payments, but I'll let you people know about it. <laughs> well, and I think that's the kind of the difficult world we're in with this right. online space because there's so much noise and so much content out there yeah. that these people have to weigh in to make them seem like. This is authentic. This is relevant when it's the exact opposite of authenticity. It's a sponsored paid thing. Now, there is a related persona type online that's sort of like the evil stepchild of influencers. And these are these people that are called virtue signals. Yeah, and 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 it really is evil. I got to say, I agree with you. You know, these virtue signals that kind of jump onto things 
So if you don't know the term virtue signaler, there's a whole Wikipedia page on it, but Cambridge Dictionary calls it an attempt to show other people that you are a good person by expressing opinions that will be acceptable to them, especially on social media. So they're very much related to influencers because these people are wanting to show that they belong to this online community, Mm -hmm. right? And oftentimes these virtual signalers comment on the influencers, by the way, by saying, oh, yes, this is the best products and sliced bread or what have you. You know, in our world, though, Ed, there are a lot of virtual signalers on LinkedIn. You know, these people that are like, oh, we got to put customers at the center of our digital experiences and we need to transform our industry now we're not doing it fast enough now these people don't provide any relevant feasible right they don't tell you how to do it information right they're just out there just saying we need to do this and we need to do it fast and we need to move and our society is horrible and it's not just healthcare it's like everybody there's virtual signalers and there's no there's no acknowledgement to the complexity of the issues yeah. It's always extremely black and white. Yeah. And they often comment on like a post that, you know, a very think- a lengthy thought out written post that talks about how do we go into it and the intricacies and the challenges of that. And their comments are like this. And that's all they say. And I'm like, can we all Anything just contribute work, right? in a meaningful way online? So, you know, as I look at this, I think about these two related personas online, and they just chaff my hide. Well, that's (laughs) what the block button is for. (laughs) That's the ultimate vote, right? Unfortunately, in this day and age, even if you block people, they're still there. They're there. They're among us. They live and breathe among us. It's really sad. (laughs) They're among us. (laughs) So oh, that's yeah. my web annoyance today. Okay. I certainly understand the passion, no question about <laughs> it. And when you and when you when you you reach out to me before this recording and said, "There's something I'm really annoyed about." Do you, is it okay if I be the annoyance person today? I said, "Go for it, man. If you're annoyed, this is the time to let it out." <laughs> well, just goes to show you, it, there are a lot of annoyances out there, and yeah. people listening in. If you have an annoyance you want us to rant about, we'd be more than happy to do it, right, Ed? Of course. I welcome it. (laughs) Okay, well, let's pivot to the second segment now, because you also put me in charge of sharing a new tip or a technology or something like that, right? If you're going to swap roles, you got to do the whole thing. This one, I have to kind of thank you a little bit, Ed, because you were the one who turned me on to this a couple weeks ago. You asked me about a new web browser called Arc. And I was like, a new web browser? What do you mean? What, yeah, why, do, why do we need a new one? All right. Yeah, why do we need a new one? I have Chrome. I have Firefox. I have Safari. I'm a Mac guy, right? You even have Edge. <laughs> I even have Edge, right? We even have all of these tools. And I'm like, why are they trying to introduce a new web browser? Well, the good news is, is I'm on a Mac environment, and it, they released the, I guess it's not a beta version. They're calling it an early release. But they released a version just for Mac. I think you're still right. on the waiting list for when it comes out. Right. I'm PC, still waiting. Right? I'm still waiting for the Windows version to come out. I was looking at Arc and I downloaded it. And it's a separate download. And it happened to coincide right when Chrome announced that they're releasing a new privacy standards around their browser. And I read a lot of articles about like you have to actively opt out of Chrome tracking you through everything you do. Of course, I'm concerned about my own personal safety. So I went through all the steps to do so in the Mm -hmm. new Chrome browser. 
And ARC, one of the things about ARC that they promoted was the fact that they do not track you as extensively as uh, Chrome does, right? Okay. So I was like, oh, well, that is enough for me to at least try it, to get my feet into that. Sure. But what I found out about this new browser is it is trying to reinvent the browser environment. So there's a couple of things about it that makes it a little bit different than others. So first of all, it's got a really interesting interface. Now, a browser is a browser, right? There's a, a screen where you you go in, you find stuff on the website. Right. But in this particular case, you have spaces where you can permanently keep your browsers open because I'm the kind of guy who has like 50 browsers open, mm -hmm. right? 50 tabs open on the browser. There's a section where you can keep tabs open indefinitely. Maybe these are, are web pages that you go to all the time, your Gmail or whatever it might be. You can keep that open all the time. You don't have to refresh it. And then there's this other section where you it's like temporary. And every 24 hours, it kind of clears out those links. All the links, by the way, are in the left-hand rail. So they're not across the top. They're across, right. across the left-hand rail. You could see, by the way, multiple tabs at once, and you could switch between them. And you could even line up one or two or three or even four tabs together in a group that allow you to show them side by side. So now you have the ability to have multiple interfaces. So you essentially have multiple view. windows open yeah. at the same time. Okay. Yeah, but they're kind of like, they're, you can either line them up horizontally next to each mm -hmm. other or stack them up as squares. Let's say, for example, uh, generative AI tools. I can click on this one tab and it pulls up all four of these interfaces at okay. once. And then I could very easily try them all out and test them against each other, for example. In addition, you could create spaces. So this allows you to create and organize tabs into different groups. I remember you had different start pages. Remember the start? Mm -hmm. Right. Not me, right. right? In this particular case, I have a space for my personal email and all the things I do on personal level. That's where I keep like the news and other things like that. I have another space that's for business. So I have my business email there. I also have a lot of other things that I log into with my business account there, including my website and other things like that. I could create these different spaces and be able to tab right through them. The trick here when you're using ARC is you have to get used to the keystrokes. Mm -hmm. So for me, I set it up so I hit Command N and I quickly switch from one space to the next. So this allows me to do similar to what you were talking about with Start. Privacy, I mentioned to you, is something a little bit different, right? It actually purports it doesn't track user activity through cookies, and it has a built-in ad blocker that actually works pretty well. Cool. So I like that. I think the main thing that attracted me about Arc, and again, I was only looking at demos because I'm a Windows environment. I'm, I couldn't download it for a Mac. And as I watched the videos and listened to the relatively small team that has been building this, they were really tapping into the concept of what is a browser that would make it efficient for people like you and me to spend our lives mm -hmm. on the web, using websites, using Google Sheets and other tools. What would be a browser that would make it easy for folks like us to efficiently get stuff done? Yeah. And that seemed to be the fundamental uh, impetus of everything they were building with this browser. And what I saw in those videos were very thoughtful tools developed to make it very efficient for folks like you and me, and and I think 90% of the people that are listening to this webcast, to efficiently use the web. 
uh, which is why I'm very excited to and and, and waiting mm-hmm. until they re- release a vin- Windows version for it. It does use less resources. It has a really quick startup. Like That's if you great. click over to a tab, it starts up <laughs> right. right away. It has this other thing, and this is like the secret sauce. I think it's going to be interesting. It's called Boost. So what boosts are? They're custom CSS snippets that you can apply to websites, to existing websites. It's sort of like an application that you run against a website that already exists. And you could do a lot of different things with it. One of the first things I I played around with, it has a dark theme. So you could apply a dark theme on websites so that if you're, it has a black background and, and lighter text. And you could change the different CSS colors within this. Right. And then it'll go and apply it. It applies it on any website that you're on. It's interesting, right? That it could do yeah. that. There's accessibility ones. So it can increase mm-hmm. the font size that you can apply. And again, that boost is over on the side where your tab is. And what you could do is you could drag the boost over the tab that you want to apply that fil- snippet to. And that's how it also does ad blocking. It, it, okay. You can apply the CSS to that. So instead of going up and right-clicking on the tab and saying block or mute or whatever, the snippet now, you can kind of control it over the side and quickly drag it over the pages that you want because they're all in a tab system on the left-hand side. I I think this is really important. I mean, they're trying to come back to an area where we can simplify everything and homogenize everything because as much as I love the designers and the people who build different websites, I really want all the content I see to be uniform. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just interested in the text. I don't want any ads. I want all the images that might be associated with the text to be structured in a certain way that's the same across every page I go to. And this is the first web browser that comes close to giving me the tools to do that. This is one of those applications where you have to understand that it is not going to be immediately obvious that everything you can do. Yeah. It's not going to be so simple that Within 10 seconds, you know everything you need to know about this app. This is going to be one of those few apps, and there's not too many, like Photoshop maybe and others, where you really need to spend a little time, sit down, read the documentation, and understand how this fundamentally works. It's one of those few apps that I feel like it's worth telling people to invest that time. I think the upside is that you're going to have a much more low-stress pleasant experience on the web and hopefully soon you'll be able to experience it on pc and i'm sure you'll find right. a million other things that i'm not even leveraging it so there you go that's my okay. advice that's my tip well i'm really i'm really excited to hear your feedback as as you using it and again i'm looking forward they say by the end of this year they'll have the windows version up well there you go ed i stepped into the real big shoes of yours okay. you did a great job well thank you now it's time to turn the tables on the last segment of the show, okay. which is our stump chat GPT section. Okay. Well, let me just say that I have noticed that in the last few uh, sessions that we've recorded that the AI environment has gotten better and better. We're trying our hardest to stump, the, stump it and to make it do something silly. But I have to say, it's doing a pretty good job coming back with reasonable responses And if you understand the background of what they're working with, they're doing Mm -hmm. a great job. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just only going to continue to get better and better. That said, there are definitely differences between the different tools that are out there. When we agreed that I was going to take over, we're going to swap and I would take over the stump chat GTP, I said, okay, what what am I going to ask it? And I actually asked you for some suggestions and you came back with something which I modified. 
And I basically came back to something that I have a little bit of knowledge and experience with. It's an area that I enjoy and that I mm-hmm. spend some time on. And I asked both ChatGTP and I asked Bard to please list the 10 most important movies ever made mm. in descending order. Mm. Explain why you rank them in that order and share your data sources. So first I started out with share the, the top five movies the most most important movies and then i changed it to most influential movies and every time i would modify even one word i would get back different results it was fascinating mm-hmm. so in the, in the sort of the final iteration i asked it for the 10 most important movies ever made in descending order chat gtp came back with a list bard came back with a list i asked for so nice I asked for it to give it to me in a table format so i could just cut and paste it into yep. excel and i can see it right here <laughs> very interestingly the first two the top two most influential influential movies was citizen kane and birth of a nation oh so citizen kane was 1941 birth of a nation was 1915 mm-hmm. and they had the order switched but they were in the top two then after that for the following eight there were only two that were mashed on both ChatGTP and Bard. Okay. The two that actually matched on the two different services for ChatGTP, Star Wars 1977 was listed as the number three, whereas on Bard it was listed as number seven. Okay. And The Matrix 1999 oh. was listed as number five on ChatGTP, and on Bard it was listed as number 10. What was really interesting is that for the other top 10 listings, ChatGTP, I felt, actually followed my core intention because I said, ever made in the history of cinema, right? Right. And it came back with movies that were made in 1902, 1920, 1927, huh. 1937, whereas Bard had nothing made before 1940. It wow. was It was pulling on things that are much more recent and probably much more in the consciousness of the people listening to this podcast. Bard's top movies were 2001 Space Odyssey, The Godfather, Jaws, Terminator 2. Mm. But on ChatGTP, their top movies were like Psycho, A Trip to the Moon, 1902, right. The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, 1920. Yep. Yeah, Jazz Singer, 1927, and Snow White and the Seven Drawers, 1937. For A Trip to the Moon, laid the foundation for imaginative st- storytelling. This is Chat DTP. The Jazz Singer, first feature-length film with synchronized sound. Sound, yeah, the sound. Yeah, I mean, what could be more influential in That's the history right. of cinema that introduced right. sound? Snow White and the Seven Drawers. First full-length animated feature. Yeah. Revolutionized animation and so forth. So I really felt that Chat GTP got to the essence of the question I was asking. In the mm. entire history of cinema, mm-hmm. one of the most important movies. Whereas Bard came back with important movies, obviously. Some of those were Singing in the Rain, mm-hmm. 2001 Space Odyssey, The Godfather. Great movie. Um, Terminator 2. Terminator 2. Terminator 2. Not not Terminator 1, but Terminator 2. Mainly because of ground, groundbreaking special effects. Ah, uh, yeah, CGI. Which is, is obviously true. Yeah. And yeah. I have to say that I'm not a cinema file. I'm not a huge mm-hmm. cinema expert. I have some basic knowledge of the history, history of cinema. I still remember seeing The Matrix in the theater the week it came out. I was with my best friend. 
I said, hey, I heard about this movie. I didn't know anything at all about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And we went in and watched The Matrix and we had no knowledge about what we were going to see. And we walked out of that with our minds completely blown. We had never seen anything like this. The only thing that came close to replicating that experience was seeing Star Wars for the first time. I was 18 years old when Star Wars came out. I was there on opening day. I'm standing in line and I watched this movie and I thought, oh my God, I've never seen anything like it. That opening scene with the spaceship coming and coming and coming and never stopping. So Star Wars and The Matrix obviously were two groundbreaking, influential, standards-exploding movies that came out. Obviously, there were different approaches to how each AI decided and what what helped it rank. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is that it will discover things that you've never heard of. For me, as someone who enjoys watching movies and loves the history of of theater, I'm going to ask both of them for the top 100 movies. So I'm hoping it'll surface things I've never heard of, and I'll be able to discover it. So it was was a very interesting exercise. I'm going to give AI a win for this. It's a nice little tool to discover things. This is a great way to keep a list that you can kind of tack on, you know, and tackle down. That's great. I love it. Well, Well, Ed, you did it. You stumped. Well, not necessarily stumped. Well, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I stumped it, but I mean, I think I think I got something really good out of the exercise. You did, you did, and you're you're getting what I get out of it too. It's like, oh, this is interesting. It's a new thing. There we go. We pulled the old switcheroo here. All right, and uh, I think we succeeded, Ed. I I think think we did. I think we did a great job here. Thank you. Thank you for taking on the hard task of what you're annoyed with and (laughs) what you're happy with. My pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. For those of you listening in, though, if you have something that annoys you or you have a really cool tip or technology that you want to share or a question that you want us to ask ChatGPT or Bard or whatever generative AI solution it is, let us know. Tell us. Like, reach out to us on LinkedIn or write back to either Ed and I, and we'd be more than happy to tackle it in a future episode. So for Ed Bennett, this is Chris Boyer. We'll see you next time on Surprise, It's Not a Toaster.